Hello and welcome to the podcast, Priest, Brother, and You, where we talk about your deepest questions from life on campus. My name is Father Jake Anderson, priest and pastor here at St. Lawrence Catholic Church and Newman Center, and joined by several others, Brother Matthew. Hello, everyone. Brother Matthew. And we are joined today by Mac, who is a sophomore at the University of Minnesota with an undecided major. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Getting closer to that decision, Mac? Uh, well, we're working on it. Yeah. I like to call myself a second-year freshman, so All right. we're still, still figuring things out. Yeah, we'll get there. Joining the club of undecided. It's, yes, good, it's a good major. It is. <laughs> so Mac, Mac joins us today with some questions about the charismatic renewal. Is that right? Mm-hmm. So like... I guess my biggest question has kind of been, like in high school, um, it was when I kind of first heard about it, when my dad started working for an outreach ministry. Um, it kind of started when, like I started hearing this term kind of float around, um, which was the charismatic renewal. And first off, I didn't really, and still kind of don't know what that term actually means. And then secondly, kind of as I've heard bits and pieces of it, like it was kind of like a renewal of the of an emphasis on the Holy Spirit is kind of what I've come to understand about it. But kind of thinking about that is like, is there any kind of correlation between the charismatic renewal that we've experienced? And is there like a parallel or any kind of connection between that and, and Pentecost perhaps? So I guess that's mm-hmm. kind of the question I put forth. So Deep question from life <laughs> on campus right there. Yeah. <laughs> no, great question. Um, Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. There's a connection. Uh, and in fact, it's really, I think the only way to really understand the charismatic renewal is in relation to Pentecost itself. And so, yeah. The, so the third glorious mystery, if you're ever praying the rosary, uh, the mystery of the falling of the Holy spirit upon the apostles and our blessed mother, uh, in the upper room. And so it's helpful even just to kind of get a little context to to that event where um, Jesus says almost mysteriously before he goes to the cross, it's better for you that I go, he says. It's better for you that I go. As if the coming of the Holy Spirit was an even greater event than the incarnation itself. Mm So there's uh, a great connection. This is what has Jesus's work has been leading up to has been Pentecost. Mm -hmm. And the Catholic church would say, this is not just an event that happened in history once and for all, as if the unleashing of the Holy spirit or the Holy spirit falling on the church was a once and done event. Rather, we would say, uh, If people do not experience the life and the renewal of the Holy Spirit in their own personal life, well, dare we say it's that the Christian life really hasn't come awake Mm -hmm. to the degree that Jesus has, uh, Jesus desires. Mm -hmm. So it's not just for the apostles, but also for us. And so in that sense, we could say that the God earnestly desires that the church always and throughout history would experience the fruitfulness of the kind of event of Pentecost. And so if you look at church history, you see various times and occasions in which God really brought about renewal through his church. There's never a time where God is not desiring to bring about renewal in the Holy Spirit. But there were times where there was more of an outpouring, Mm -hmm. more of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And so that's where, especially in the 20th century, we see a lot of things happening with regard to that, um, that term, the charismatic renewal. It wasn't like the church 
uh, had not been renewed in her history. No, many, many times. But the 20th century marked a real time where God was doing something in a particular way and in a very powerful way Hmm. that affected millions of people. Hmm. So just a few initial thoughts there. So the charismatic renewal then is a new Pentecost for the church. But I have a feeling a lot of our listeners are going to be thinking, well, what what really is the charismatic renewal? So, Mac, I'd love to hear what what have what's your, been your experience of the charismatic renewal? What are the externals that you have in mind when you say charismatic renewal? Okay, so like when when you were talking, Father, um, kind of some some things that came to mind were. Um, so St. Francis kind of came to mind as kind of a, a, a type of renewal. Um, and um, I think initially I would say in answer to your question, the juxtaposition of like how we kind of in SPO and um, and in CSU kind of express our, our worship and praise as opposed to say, you know, the forms of prayer that are more, um, I don't know, for lack of a better word, elevated or like more proper. Contemplative. Um, yeah, contemplative. Um, hands folded versus hands raised. Exactly. Okay. And um, and so I think at least that's how kind of I've experienced or seen it is kind of a shift away, not, a, not necessarily away, but like a, a greater emphasis on the hands raised kind of portion of prayer that wasn't necessarily there before. That's kind of the primary way I've, I've noticed it. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so I agree, Max. So the the charismatic renewal takes a lot of the the outward signs of it are things like raising hands, the giving of prophecies, sometimes speaking in tongues. But I think it's good to think about even what does it mean when we call a renewal charismatic? That word itself comes from the word even in English, charism, meaning a gift. So whatever the outward signs are, it's intended to be a renewal in the church that brings us back to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It's it's a kind of prayer and a movement surrounding a kind of prayer which is spirit-led. Mm-hmm. That's what's meant fundamentally by the charismatic renewal. Mm. Yeah, which is, yeah, I think a great point, brother, where um, I think when a lot of people and uh, when they hear the term charismatic renewal, they, yeah, they think of a lot of outward expressions, you know, people that make noise, uh, <laughs> laughter, uh, raising of hands. And yeah, those can be things, but they're more like secondary effects um, sure. where sometimes they can be from the charismatic renewal, sometimes they're not, but it doesn't get to the essence. So even just Brother Matthew's distinction or even just the word in Greek itself, gifts, or even a more fundamental word, charis, mm-hmm. where you get charismatic means grace. So you have charis, grace, and then you have uh, charism, gift. So like grace influenced or grace inspired gifts gifts of god Mm -hmm. and so it's really a sharing in the intimacy of the life of god in the human heart and that's what inspires or can inspire (laughs) to make distinctions uh some of those more visible or outward expressions so think about like in matthew's gospel in matthew chapter 11 for example where Jesus, in a very spontaneous way, it says he he cried out in the Holy Spirit and said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, for although you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned, you have revealed them to the merest ones or the children. Uh, almost like there was something from inside of Jesus coming out and he cried out. You can almost picture that scene. 
Maybe he even raised his hands like, I thank you, Father. That's kind of what we mean by uh, the charism or like the, the grace inspired from the inside of the person living in relationship with Jesus that almost like inspires you to, to cry out in joy, something sure. like that. Sure. That's one of the ways that St. Paul speaks about the gift of tongues is that it, is that it wells up within us. The Spirit yeah. speaks on our behalf with inexpressible groans, he says. And so from within, not a kind of an outward thing that I'm putting on, but from within mm. is a kind of speech that allows me to praise the Lord. Yeah, I guess another question that kind of brings to mind is like gifts of the Holy Spirit. That seems to be kind of a, a fruit of the charismatic renewal, like a, a greater emphasis on or like maybe a greater movement of the spirit, kind of a, a renewal again um, in the present day, like a greater outpouring of these gifts. Um, would you say that's true? Like in our own day is, is, is the Lord making things new? Sure. Yeah. 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 In fact, uh, Father Reniero Cantalamesa, who has just announced that he'd be made a cardinal, who is the papal preacher to the household of the Pope, he said, you know, uh, he has this great line where he says, God doesn't make new things. He makes things new. Hmm. It might seem like a really simple little know-nothing distinction, but I think it's really important. Like, he doesn't make new things. Like, oh, we got to have some new buildings here. we got to make some more new people. Uh, no, he makes things new. Mm-hmm. He makes hearts new new and so is the lord always seeking to bring about renewal absolutely right (laughs) and where he senses an openness to his gifts his grace um he it's like an open door okay so as charismatic is a good word because it points us to the gift and then to the grace underneath the gift so is the word renewal a great word for describing what we're talking about because it is not an innovation but rather it's a hearkening back an experience in our own times of what God always intended for his church since the very beginning. So we read in Acts chapter 2 of the first Pentecost. Hmm. And the charismatic renewal simply brings to the fore once again those kind of charisms, whether it's speaking in tongues, whether it's praise of God, whether it's, say, living in community, hmm. things which were experienced from the very beginning of the church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, it seems like... Like those kinds of things, it, like like you were saying, Father, it's kind of coming in ebb and flow. Um, and so, like the charismatic renewal is kind of just a a re-emphasis on those on those basic truths or those basic things that were first um, brought to us through Pentecost. Is mm-hmm. that true? Yeah. Yep. This was something that stems from way back. This was this wasn't just something that came about in the 1960s. <laughs> uh, this was something that really stems back at its essence in the Holy Spirit. If it's really from the Holy Spirit, it really stems back to what the Lord did in that upper room. Hmm. Um, yeah. So it's always a hearkening back, as Brother Matthew said. Maybe for that reason, it would be good to simply review the history of the charismatic renewal. Hmm. Going back to the very beginning, yeah, maybe we might paint the picture like this. So the early church, for a while, it's not clear quite how long, but for perhaps a couple of centuries, the charismatic gifts were, were an important part of everyday church life. And you certainly pick that up, say, in the in the Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapters 12 and 14, where he, he gives an extended discussion 
to the the governance or the use the the implementation of spiritual gifts in regular community life but something happened something definitely happened otherwise there wouldn't be a renewal right so throughout the throughout the uh, through late antiquity, there began to be a, a kind of decline surrounding people's experience of charismatic gifts. Mm. So by the time of Augustine, for example, Augustine at first is skeptical. Do healings happen anymore? Mm-hmm. Yeah, St. Paul and St. Peter, they healed people. But but now Augustine writing, say, say around 400, he's not aware of many as many healings as he might think. Mm. But even Augustine begins to investigate, and after his investigation himself finds that actually healings still are present in the church. I think generally one of the things that happened in our church's history is as the church became more institutionalized, mm. there there were more problems with, with governing, as even St. Paul experienced, with governing the use of the charismatic gifts. I think that's one thing that happened, and eventually, so it caused the charismatic gifts to to go out of use in a certain way. What do you mean by governing of charismatic gifts? Well, even in our own time, where many of us are aware of charismatic movements, which have gotten out of control, Mm. and there's been an overemphasis on the the expressions of these gifts Mm. to the exclusion of of charity, as Paul would would call us to. So even in the first century, there was that that mm-hmm. tension between being reliant on the spirit on one hand, and then and then having certain structures that provide stability on the others. So certainly in the Middle Ages, our church moved much more towards a, a structure-based yeah. model. Yep. I think one of the other reasons that happens though is is actually because it's so easy to for us, even as modern people, but throughout history, for us to to associate charismatic gifts with extreme holiness. Mm. And as soon as we make that jump, then we say, well, the charismatic gifts, whatever it is, Mm -hmm. prophesying, speaking in tongues, that's only for very, very, very holy people, and that's not me. Mm. And so uh, from early on, it became, there became a, a, a tendency to push charismatic gifts into the obscure, into the very holy. And eventually it became limited to very isolated cases throughout the Middle Ages sure. until the, mm. the modern era. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So when we talk about the charismatic movement, um, most often we're talking about its foundation in the 20th century. Again, mm-hmm. given the history that Brother Matthew was just saying, and then, of course, tying it back to Pentecost. But, yeah, it was the 20th century that really saw um, the flowering of this renewal in the Holy Spirit. Mm. Um, so Pope Leo XIII actually uh, had been receiving many, many letters <laughs> from uh, – she's now a blessed um, – blessed Ilana Guerrara, I think her name is, mm. who was a sister of the um, – the Holy Spirit oblates. And she had been very inspired to write the Pope again and again and again about the need for the church to return to the upper room. Hmm. Okay. Uh, for the need for the church that. to rediscover her roots hmm. and the full flowering of the Holy Spirit. So finally, after many letters, like the whole um, Pope Leo XIII, um, uh, I think he wrote an encyclical on this and then invited the whole church universal to partake in this novena to the Holy Spirit. Hmm. And that did not silence this sister, hmm. but only inspired her even more. So she kept writing even more letters. Hmm. And so um, this was just even some of the things that began to influence the life of the church 
uh, in in the early times where it, it made even the Pope starting to rethink things. Sure. And this has happened in the tradition where people like St. Catherine of Siena would have uh, written to the popes and demanded certain things. She was mm-hmm. a great saint, you know. So um, even from below, it seems like there was a prayer for many people, but particular people in itself to, for the church institutional to return to the life of the spirit. And then in our own country, it really began um, in earnest by an event that happened in 1967 at Duquesne University in Pittsburgh, of all places. Hmm. And, um, and it was a bunch of college students in, really? an, in an upper room. That's insane. That just started praying. And that was the the event that really began in earnest the Catholic charismatic renewal in the United States. Hmm. Okay. Some of those students probably had undecided majors. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so I think it's important to see, um, yeah, even what Brother Matthew was saying about the history of how, at times, how as we got later in the church, the charismatic gifts seemed to be perceived as either, in Brother Matthew's words, like the extreme holy or maybe we could also say on the other side, just the extreme, <laughs> mm. to be discounted like, oh, they're crazies. We sure. shouldn't listen to them. Either you're super extremely holy or mm-hmm. a saint like Padre Pio, or you're just an extremist that we can discount and put off to the side and just say sure. they're crazy. Yeah. And with the charismatic renewal uh, through millions of people coming alive to what many would call like the baptism in the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. which is basically a rediscovery of one's own baptism often at an experiential level. So it's a, we could say it's an unleashing of the great gifts that we received in baptism, but they were almost lying dormant. Okay. Um, in which the Holy Spirit aroused it. Okay. Um, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I guess also kind of keeping with this whole thing, this theme is like the unwrapping of, of the gifts received at baptism. That sounds a lot like, like what you just described sounds a lot like, um, confirmation. Yes. So what's the, cause I know, so how do, how would you say that con- does confer- confirmation have, um, how does it like, um, like factor into this? I would say. Yeah. So the sacraments of, uh, confirmation and baptism are very closely tied, hmm. probably more so than any of the other sacraments. That's why we call them the sacraments of initiation. They're kind of coming off in a one package <laughs> deal. Baptism and confirmation. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So what has happened in the tradition though, is in the early church, people would be baptized and confirmed usually at once. Sure. Uh, they were all together. Mm-hmm. Now in the ancient time, it, it's almost like a rite of passage in mm-hmm. our in the modern era where now you got to be, you know, 14 or 16 or you're smacking your gum and you're like, okay, I think I'm ready for confirmation here. You know, I'm ready mm-hmm. to take my faith seriously, which is ironic because it's the very time in which so many people leave the faith. Exactly. Yeah. So, but in the early church, it was not so. Those were so closely tied. So, uh, yeah, for a renewal in the Holy Spirit, it's drawing out certainly from the principles of the sacrament of baptism, mm-hmm. but not to the exclusion of confirmation. No, sure. Those two go hand in hand. Okay. And you can see there an example of how uh, the baptism in the Spirit, which I'm glad we're talking about, by the way, because that's the, that's the foundation of the charismatic renewal. It's not these expressions. It's an experience of the Spirit, once again, stirring in our hearts. But you can see there again how how confirmation might be understood as a kind of formalization mm. of the the episodes of baptism in the Holy Spirit that are recounted throughout the book of Acts. Mm-hmm. So often as the apostles are going around preaching, 
like Father Jake says, their people are baptized and then they experience the Holy Spirit and often enough they speak in tongues as a result mm-hmm. or there's other signs accompanying it. But we know ourselves well enough to know that as soon as we as soon as we sacramentalize something or formalize something, which I'm which is a very appropriate and fitting that the church has has said confirmation, this experience of baptism in the spirit should be formalized. But you know the tendency in our own hearts is once it's formalized, then then we can kind of lose track of what's what's actually mm. underneath it. Now it's not only confirmation that's susceptible to this, but all the sacraments. Yeah. Mm. So would you say that um so it seems like confirmation was kind of born out of this kind of um, like the Holy Spirit drawing these things out of, or like what you were saying, Father, the um, kind of drawing out of specific gifts in you and kind of being reborn in the Spirit. That confirmation was kind of a um, kind of an, a sacramentalization of it. Yeah. So confirmation is well to to do just what it sounds like. It's to confirm or stamp, or in the words that you receive, the bishop says, "Be sealed." Mm. almost like you're you're taking a letter not that we do that anymore uh, you're taking a, a letter and like in those ancient little medieval movies you know they have a, a stamp with a seal that goes into the wax mm-hmm. it's almost like it's confirming it's 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 giving it an indelible permanent character that has stability mm-hmm. that's what confirmation is meant to do okay but i think it's fair to say that from the beginning it was meant to be accompanied by mm. an experience of the spirit mm-hmm and that's the part that we've lost. Now, sure. now I say we and me and you and, and us here, which the church has preserved sacramentally for us, but we've forgotten on the whole, the world forgot as a whole, yep. that say the sacrament of baptism and confirmation when received as an adult are to be accompanied by an experience of the spirit, or at least it should be desired. Yeah. And I think that's a good distinction because yeah. maybe there's people listening that say, I don't know if I've had an experience. Does that really mean like I was baptized or confirmed? Mm. So we wouldn't say that validity is conditioned upon an experience. For sure. Like if you're not praying in tongues, does that mean I'm baptized? No, like it's not mm. conditioned on the experience, but it definitely shows the fruitfulness. You know, the Lord says a tree is known by its fruits. Fruits are always gifts. And so where there are gifts lacking or where there's any vitality lacking, where there's any spontaneous Holy Spirit-led activity and life in me lacking, um, this might be where the Lord wants to encourage or to, as we use in retreat language, fan the flame mm. of what he has started. He wants to bring it about what he has, what he has put. People have received it, but oftentimes it's just, it doesn't have the oxygen to get Mm -hmm. the flame moving, if that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. And that's why Pope Francis, for example, can go so far as to say, which he did last year, to to expect the charismatic movement to share baptism in the Holy Spirit with everyone in the church. Mm -hmm. That's Pope Francis. He wants us to share baptism in the Holy Spirit with everyone in the church. The reason he can make such a a wide-ranging, a universal claim on the nature of baptism in the Holy Spirit is because it's so fundamental. It's something which is to flow out of the sacraments, for example. Mm Has this been helpful? Yes, incredibly. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, 
I just remember it, especially in high school, because um, I went to a, a private high school that was very Catholic, very, very traditional. Homeschool? Okay. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, went to a private high school. Um and um, we had mass every day, mandatory. But they were there was a heavy influence on th- the traditional mass. Um, so like every excuse that we had to kind of bust out the altar altar servers, and um, like I think at the most we had like thirty two altar servers at once, and just like do these glamorous, massive um, like masses. There was a, a heavy emphasis on the form of of the mass and how that was carried out and stuff like that. Um, and I just remember. Um, especially when my dad was starting to get into ministry um, that I started hearing this term thrown around um, the charismatic renewal. And, and I came to know that it was important. Um, and I just remember hearing a lot of kids in, in my school um, just saying, Oh, the charismatic renewal, don't believe it. It doesn't, it doesn't actually matter. And I'm like, well, it seems to matter. And so I, it's definitely helpful to know that the charismatic renewal doesn't refer to anything like weird, but kind of a fulfillment of the. the yeah. History. And like a lot of, like anything there's, there's, there can always be a weird factor sure. that just has to be called out yep. on, on every end mm-hmm. of the spectrum. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. And, and, and even just to your point, um, about seeing kind of like almost like the two sides, if you will, I, I really encourage people like a little phrase we use is like the Catholic both. And mm-hmm. <laughs> it shouldn't have to be like the, our political season, like one side or the other, hmm. but rather saying like, how, how can, is God calling things to come together? Absolutely. And so not to kind of pitch one camp or the other, like, Oh, do I have my hands folded or do I raise my hands up? The question, the answer is yes. Hmm. Whatever whatever leads you to the love of God and the authentic expression of living in his life. Mm. That's, that's charismatic. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, though, both work well together. There's a deep, deep beauty to traditional liturgy for those who have the eyes to see it. Mm-hmm. But it's not intrinsic. It's something the church has developed and right. over many, many, many centuries. And it's not as though one were better than the other, would you say? They're they're on different planes. Exactly. They're on yeah. totally different planes. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And we're kind of speaking in slightly different, um, almost like comparing apples to oranges a little bit. One is a liturgy. One is something of the interior mm. that comes out. Mm-hmm. So it's not quite a one-to-one correspondence. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that's why it's so strange that we hear, we hear them as if they're pitted together. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. May there be, I'll make this claim, may there be more charismatic traditionalists out there, hmm. meaning more people who experience the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives and the charismatic expression of gifts and love the sacred liturgy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Amen to that, brother. Amen. Yeah. Dang. Dang. Thank you both. It <laughs> <laughs> clears up a lot of things, actually. Oh, good to hear. Mm-hmm. So, well, thanks all for listening to this and for any of us or any who have been listening to this podcast with us from the beginning, we've only been having, uh, I've only had a few episodes, but we're just glad you're listening in and hopefully this has been helpful for you. 